Welcome to episode two of Around the Bar. Today, our guest is criminal defense and personal injury lawyer, Johnny Papatanakis. He's been practicing law for over 20 years, has a great deal of experience and expertise. He has a number of successful case results and has been an active part of our legal community. He's been selected as a Texas super lawyer, eight straight years running. And I would like to mention that Johnny was one of the first attorneys I met when I first started practicing. We're glad that he's here to join us. And without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Around the Bar, the podcast series where we talk about the law, life, culture, and hopefully have some fun. I'm your host, Ramesh Raghun. Welcome, Johnny. How are you? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for it. Uh, it really means a lot to me. Like I said, you know, it, at first, you were one of the first attorneys I met uh, through Ryan. Ryan yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I've always appreciated our our relationship and you being a mentor whenever I've had questions as a young lawyer or needed advice on you know certain areas of law. And I've always appreciated your your honesty and you being candid and you know giving it to me straight and. I figured it would be absolutely great to get to know a little bit more about you and have you on the pod. So why don't we start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you have a very, you know, interesting background being Greek, and I know that you're multilingual. I am. I am. Uh, I was born here in Houston. I was born here. My family moved to Miami pretty quickly. A young lady came over from uh, Guatemala to take care of me, so I didn't learn any English, just Spanish. Grandma came over from Greece. She only spoke Greek, so all I had was uh, Greek and Spanish growing up. <laughs> okay. Then we moved to Greece when I was about three, I guess, through kindergarten. Still didn't know English, just Greek and Spanish. And then we had to move back to the States. First grade, I couldn't speak English, so I had to learn English real quick. So you had three languages, Greek, Spanish, and English. So let me ask you this. Uh, when you learned English at such a young age, how were you able to keep Spanish and Greek? Um, I think because I never lost the Spanish, and I think, to be honest, I think I may think in Spanish more so than English or Greek. I was always around my grandmother, you know, so I'd always spend my summers in Greece, went to third grade in Greek. My parents were both Greek, so we always had Greek around the house. I'm one of those typical Greek families, you know, a million cousins and all that, so there was always Greek around. Spanish, um, I have some Spanish cousins. I have a half-sister who's uh, half Peruvian, half Greek. And there was just always Spanish around the house. If there was a nanny or something like that, they always spoke Spanish. And then when, when my kids were later born, their nanny, I always kind of wanted them to follow in the same pattern. And there was no English at the house. So I think that that is absolutely excellent. Just Spanish. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely excellent. You know, Language is as easiest to learn when you're young. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and you always figured that your children will learn English. If yeah. you're here, they're going to learn English. They're going to learn it in school, right? Yeah, they're absolutely going to learn. So obviously, you know, we're both attorneys. Tell me, what sparked your interest in this profession? What made you decide to well, be a lawyer? Well, uh, to be honest, the only other thing I think I ever recall me wanting to do from a young age is uh, probably like every other little Greek kid, I wanted to be the captain of the ship. <laughs> I think once I got old enough to realize that was probably not going to be my career choice, I always remember wanting to be a lawyer. I had an uh, aunt that I was very close with, lived with us while she was going to law school. And I think that maybe kind of really sparked my interest because I would see her study and see her every day. I'd love to do, uh, I'd love to brainstorm with her. I always love to go over practice questions with her. And, you know, I ended up interning for her and clerking for her in the summers. 
And she was just very near and dear to me. And I think she was kind of the inspiration for me to go to law school. That, that's excellent. I mean, so you had it brought to you early on. I right? did, yes. And it, this was a part of your, it, and you've had this, you know, early on. And, you know, the, it's pretty interesting because a lot of times when you have something like that, people go in the opposite direction, you know. Run and, from it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know. I grew up an Indian kid in Sugarland, so everyone expected me to be a doctor. And that was just like the last thing I wanted to be, <laughs> you know. And, you know, and I also think about it. The reason I asked the question is the one thing about law as an, and it was the reason why I joined it was that law gives you a seat at any table. If you're a lawyer, it opens all sorts of doors, you know, and your possibilities are endless with, with the JD degree. So. That was kind of the inspiration, you know, for me. So now you get into law, you go to law school, you graduate. Did you have any idea that this was where your career was going to go? I did not. I honestly, I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I knew I wanted to be in the courtroom. I figured I'd always use my languages. And I guess growing up, um, you know, around the water and wanting to be, a, the, you know, the captain of the ship as a younger guy, I felt like I always was going to go into international maritime law. And then um, I knew I wanted to be in a courtroom ended up dating someone who eventually I married and became the mother of my children. And her father was a prominent criminal defense lawyer here in town. And uh, instead of, you know, starting in maritime or going to work for the DA's office, he knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And he basically said, you want to be in trial? Got a murder trial coming up in three weeks. Come to work with me. That is, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. So when I was uh, looking at, at your history, I noticed that you had your own firm for a mm -hmm. little bit. Then you were, part, I think you were part of a firm and now you have the of counsel relationship. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are some of your likes, dislikes with kind of all the different arrangements? Um, I was always a solo practitioner. Even when I started out, you know, I had mentors and then I, you know, I shared office space with some friends, but I was always a solo practitioner. And then I separated from my, my then wife in um, 2017, got a divorce shortly after that. And then I guess maybe my midlife crisis was having a, a kind of a career uh, change. And I just decided I didn't really want to do exclusively criminal defense work anymore. Uh, it's fun. It's it's addicting. It's like a drug. It's, you know, you meet great people. It's a great building. And it's probably the defending someone's freedom is probably the highest honor is, you know, there is out there. Also the biggest challenge. But I just wanted something different. Uh, I knew I wanted to keep trying cases, stay in the courtroom. Now I get the chance to, I went became of counsel. So that was my midlife crisis, shut my shop down in 2019 and ended up going to work uh, with one of my dearest friends in the world, one of my best friends, and now I get to try civil cases. That's amazing. So you have the total experience of doing criminal court plus civil PI work, right? So let me ask you this, how has, and, and me being in personal injury, I want to ask you this from the criminal defense side, how has the practice changed over these, say, last 20 years? It's definitely gotten... Uh, more paperless, much more electronic. I think as a society in general, we've gotten a little more on the criminal, you know, from the criminal side of the street, maybe a little more tolerant on some um, drug issues and uh, some smaller drug cases. We seem to be a little more tolerant, realize we might've been cracking down on them a little too harshly. I think COVID, you know, I, I saw a big change in the last couple of years. We get to do a lot more things from home. And it seems, you know, COVID may have, the, the bad thing that I've seen is, you know, with COVID, it, it drug everything out. Everything's on hold. So many, you know, we've got cases from 2016 that still haven't gone to trial yet. So that's been <laughs> wow. bad. Uh, 
to let us dress ca- more casual. Um, be it, you know, Zoom, thanks to Zoom, we, you know, we could do a lot of things, you know, dressed halfway from the waist up, dressed up and, and appear in court. And so that's more efficient and more comfortable that way. But um, I think in general, I've just seen society change, I think, and become a little more understanding and tolerant overall. Yeah, you know, and it, the the kind of the reasoning behind that is like PI has changed so much from when I first started. You know, the demand process and how you put things together and what the insurance company expects. It's it's completely 180 degrees from when I first started back in like 0304, you know, and it's I've noticed that things have gotten a lot more cut and dry, you know. You don't need to to do at least on the PI side, you don't need to do the big flowery. I mean, they just they want the nuts and bolts, and let's go do it. Now, I wanted to get back to, to COVID. Um, how did that, I mean, you, I know you're saying it, it affected your clients, it affected your practice. Now, when these clients, they're just stuck? They're stuck in jail or they're stuck? They're not so much stuck in jail. Most of my clients, fortunately, you know, a lot of my criminal clients, most of my criminal clients are usually out on bond, okay. uh, but it would just delay the case. The case would just be stagnant. You know, you wouldn't have court appearances. Sometimes your court appearance would just be showing up. Um, sometimes your court appearances would be set months and months apart. Sometimes your court appearances would be reset without you even showing up. So it was hard without that interaction with the DA or a counselor, or social worker, court. You know, it, it was just hard to get anything done. And things just seemed to linger on the docket for years and years. And some things are still on the docket. They were pre-COVID. So you're telling me that your case gets reset and you don't know? Uh, there were times when that happened, yeah. Wow. There were some times when that happened, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Wow. So then what? I guess you find out from the judge, from the court? Or the website, usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, you're doing your due diligence, checking the website, or you show up to Zoom court and the you know the coordinator tells you, oh, that, that case was reset. <laughs> that has to be awesome. <laughs> So as you know, as we had this conversation, I noticed, you know, we all know that you spend a lot of time in the courtroom. What is it about that setting? What is it that inspires you about that setting? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think maybe secretly every trial lawyer wishes they were an actor. And I think to me, what's so enticing and alluring about it maybe is the fact that it's just, just kind of your stage. All eyes are on you when, when you're in there. Um, it's And it's the the arena, the battleground for what we do. So it's like, it's like, you know, you practice, you practice, you practice, but it's, it's game day and you get to get on the field. It's just the ultimate allure. And do you find that your, that passion has continued to increase over this, the times? Like you, you know, continue to like it more and more? Yeah, without question. Without question. Without question. Not surprised by that answer at all. So you've tried a number of cases. You've had a number of successful outcomes in court. Give us some of your favorite ones. You know, it's always probably the most satisfying feeling. You know, they always say that the scariest thing is to represent an innocent person. So representing someone who is truly innocent of what they were accused of and and working hard to get them justice and seeing them reunited with their family, it's kind of. That's a feeling that's kind of really hard to overcome. And on the PI side of the street, I kind of feel like I'm a prosecutor now where, where I get the victim and I get the opportunity to make them poll instead of, you know, as a criminal defense lawyer, we're kind of viewed as always wearing the black hat. So now it seems like I'm kind of wearing the white hat and I get the victim. So it's very rewarding in getting someone who was injured and in, in trying to make them whole 
And then the drug cases, just because of the, the links and the, the nuances that go with linking a, a substance to a person or a place, those are probably the, the three things I enjoy the most and the three, the memories of all the, of all the cases that stick out the most. So the drug cases are probably the, the most fun. So let me ask you this. You've been practicing. You've noticed all the, all the changes. Has AI gotten in, into uh, criminal, criminal defense world? Has it entered into the criminal defense world? I think it has entered, but I think the criminal defense arena might be one of the, the last arenas that AI overtakes because that, that human interaction is so important. You're never going to, in my opinion, have an accused individual feeling completely comfortable talking to a machine. You have the, the eye contact and the trust that, that you have to establish with your client to get everything and to get them to be as forthcoming as, as they should be that is in their best interest. I don't think AI will ever be able to replace, but, but it's creeping into the criminal defense field as well, for sure. I ask that because I feel kind of similar to you that the one thing that AI will never be able to replace is a specialized skill specialized personal skill. Like if you're a trial lawyer in any setting, there is nothing that AI will ever be able to come up with that's going to replace the actual skill, the real-time application of all your expertise, all of your experience, reading the room. Yeah. Because from what I understand, that is a huge part of, of the setting. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I do find it. I, I feel like AI is making its way everywhere. It's kind of like the, the next thing. And, you know, I read this one article and it said, you're not going to lose your job to AI, but you're going to lose your job to someone who knows how to use it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Very fair. Very fair. So, okay. How about cases that didn't go to court? Do you have any uh, ones that just stick out to you? Uh, some of the most challenging cases are cases you're on for a long time that sometimes you never see a courtroom that you're just working on and, and kind of in the trenches. So, um, working up, so to speak, or prepping up or that never go to trial, um, or that, you know, cases that you spend a lot of time and effort putting together, let's say a, a grand jury packet so that somebody doesn't get indicted and, and doesn't have to go through that court system. So, I think maybe those are some of the cases that don't make it to court that are the most rewarding. You mentioned that uh, before before we got started, you mentioned that you're teaching a class tonight? Uh, not really teaching a class, just speaking to some uh, youngsters about uh, courtroom objections, common courtroom objections. Tell me a little bit more about this. Are these law students? I don't really know. Uh, I was, I, I, it was brought up by a judge. I kind of volunteered. I, I don't really know who my audience is. I know it's some younger folks, and I know it's this evening, and it's one of three sessions, but I don't really have more detail than that. I just know I'm going to be speaking to them about objections. Well, I can tell you, I was teaching a class, an ethics class, um, at the College of Healthcare okay. Professions, and I did it kind of as this like tribute to my dad. He always, uh, even as a doctor, he always wanted to, he was a private practice gastroenterologist, and the academia part of medicine was something that really came to him towards the end of his career and end of life. And he would tell me all the time how rewarding it is. And look, I went ahead and got this job as an adjunct faculty teaching a uh, an ethics class. And essentially it was for all kind of nurses, except RNs, right? So I okay. had LVNs, I had your techs, I had, you know, the all the different specialties. 
But I found that extremely rewarding. I could see that. I found that extremely rewarding. And, you know, even when you're teaching from a syllabus and, you know, the semester changes, but you're teaching the same thing, certain things change. But I felt when I got into kind of autopilot and was comfortable, I really enjoyed that experience. And I got, I really, I really got a lot out of it. So. I, I wish you the best of luck with it tonight. I think Thank you. I'm very it. excited. I think it when we get the chance to put something new and interesting in someone's <laughs> mind, I think it's it's just a unique feeling. Is this your kind of first uh, dabble with this? No, no. I've 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 spoken. To, uh, it's usually been youngsters or college students. Um, also been a guest speaker for like law simulation classes in law mm-hmm. school. But usually it's it's like debate classes, uh, criminal justice classes, trial simulation classes stuff like that, mock trial competitions, more more volunteer stuff like that. Did you debate in high school? Man, I wish I did, and it kills me that I did not. I did not debate in high school, and if I could go back and change one thing about high school, that would be the thing. I debated in high school, and it gave me skills and a framework for almost everything moving forward. I, I 100% believe it. Both of my children do debate, and uh, it, it's something I very much wish I would have. I do also. I have one regret, though. We had our debate coach when I, I went to Strake Jesuit here. Okay. And he's the, our debate coach at the time. He was only into cross-ex debate, right? Okay. And the other form of it was Lincoln Douglas, which is kind of, you know, more courtroom, you know, okay. kind of extemporaneous uh, speaking. Where else the cross-ex is very evidence, evidence, argument, evidence, argument, you know, and... What I, my only regret was that I didn't get to experience some of the other Other disciplines. Okay. Because I honestly, from what I learned doing CX, I really feel would have been amplified if I had done LD, right? And if there's any advice I can give for you, for your children, make them try all the different disciplines. Fair enough. If they don't like it, they don't like it. Sure. At least get them exposed. Practicing for a long time, if you go back to your rookie year, if they're in, what advice would you give yourself? Um, invest more in my business. What do you mean by that? You know, I always thought being the best lawyer, working harder would grow my business. And I didn't spend as much time understanding the business aspect of the practice is I just poured all my energy into the case law and the defense part of my practice. So I think it would have been fun or added some more fun to it if I was a little more astute in the business practice side. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very complex and kind of uh, unique thing, right, when you're talking about investing your business because it really is twofold. Like when you are a trial lawyer or when you are, you know, when you do practice a certain discipline of law, you do have to know that case law. You have to, you have to do that part of it. But having your own practice you know, you can spend your entire time not doing any law. It's really interesting because, you know, there was a time where I was just an associate and I didn't see on the other side of the table. And now the the entire other side of the Venn diagram is is crazy. You think your clients are always the most important thing, right? But you think, hey, what what I need to, I, I need to focus as much as I do on this, I need to focus on this. Because if you don't, things will change. And even more so probably on 
the side of the spectrum that I didn't spend as much time as where I needed to spend more time or where I wish I would have spent more time. And do you mean by, by that, by spending more time networking, that side of it, or do you mean like financially investing in your business? I think incorporating more of some of the advertising and marketing techniques that I've seen used and become accustomed to now on the civil side of the street. I think at a young age, if I would have incorporated some of those on the criminal side of the street, I think it would have just been, I think it would have been more fun and just changed the dynamic of the business a little But And maybe going into business with others, maybe I think would have. Because I'm the, I love to run my mouth. I love to be around people, and I think it would have been more fun to work with more people. I, I totally see that. I totally, totally see that. Okay. Well, look, let's uh, let's kind of shift gears here. Let's do some some fun things. Okay. So, you're born in Houston, right? Mm-hmm. You lived in Miami. Lived in Greece. Yes. Do you ever think about moving back to Miami? Ever move mm-hmm. back overseas? I do all the time. Um, if you know, if there was reciprocity over there, I'd probably be living in Miami right now. I don't think I'd ever want to study for another bar exam again. <laughs> um, but I still, my sister lives there. I go back. Uh, I'm still a diehard Dolphin fan, so I try to catch at least one game a year. But yes, I think about going back all the time. And I think about going back to Greece all the time. And I do intend to, uh, I, I don't think I will ever practice there, but I do intend to spend a lot of my time there and probably after the next 10 years or so. Have you taken your kids to Greece? Absolutely. Do they love it? They do. They do. Uh, one of the proudest things I ever heard as a father is I remember my little girl, we were in Greece. I think we were there. Maybe it's been there all of one day. And I think she was nine years old, 10 years old at the time. And she just looked at me and said, Daddy, I love it here. I'm just so proud to be Greek. And uh-huh. that was that. It, <laughs> it was a steady thing from that point on. Yeah. Melting into mm-hmm. a puddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned, I know you're a huge Dolphins fan. Do you support all Miami teams? Uh, well, when I lived there younger, there, was, there wasn't a basketball team and there wasn't a uh, baseball team. So I'm a Dolph- Miami Dolphins fan, Miami Hurricanes fan, but I'm a Houston Astros and a Houston Rockets fan. Fair enough. That's right. Because I think, what, the Heat showed up late think, 80s, uh, early uh-huh, 90s. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't even remember when the Marlins came in. The Marlins, I think, were even after that. I think we got the Heat like 83, 84, 85, somewhere in there. And then the Marlins somewhere in the late 80s, maybe. Okay. All right. And you, I know you're a diehard Dolphins fan because I've run into you. I've run into you when the Dolphins come uh-huh, here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I do, I do know that. Let me ask you this. A couple quick hitters and we'll, we're going to get this okay. wrapped up. Uh, four dinner guests with you. Anyone, past or present? Alive or dead? Alive or dead. Okay. Well, I would definitely, um, I think I would want one of my... Uh, ancient uh, Greek philosophers there. So um, I think let's probably put uh, Plato there. Mm-hmm. I would probably want Michael Jordan there. Mm-hmm. Shoot, if we could bring back uh, Alexander the Great, I'd like to talk some strategy with him. And then uh, maybe Ronald Reagan. I think I'd invite him as well. I, that is the most unique uh, five-some dinner ever. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that would. That sounds awesome. Miami Dolphins football, your favorite team. Give me your Mount Rushmore favorite Dolphin. Uh, well, uh, definitely uh, Dan Marino would be up there. I think I would put uh, Jason Taylor. How many are on Mount Rushmore? Five? Four. 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 So it would be Jason Taylor, Dan Marino. It would be Richmond Webb and probably Cameron Wake. Okay. 
So no, no, uh, Mark Duper, Mark Clayton. Uh, the Marx Brothers were great <laughs> in action. Was fortunate enough to have season tickets to watch them play. Uh, but nah, I think the others might edge them out. The Dolphins, you know, when I was doing a little um, background for this, because I, I knew this was, you know, this one of your favorite things. I was looking at it and I was like, man, the Dolphins have a great history. There's so many good players. Dwight Stevenson, mm -hmm. you know, um, there was just a, a, a number of players that Zach Wilson. Zach Thomas, Thomas is Thomas. going in this year. Thomas, mm -hmm. Thomas, that's right. Uh, well, I think Zach Wilson is that quarterback for the Jets or something. He is. Exactly. That team that will go unmentioned. <laughs> yes. So, all right, last one. You know Houston is a great place uh, uh -huh. for culinary and cuisine. Oh, yeah. Give me a couple of your favorite places to eat here. Ah, wow. I think that's easy. Um, I think uh, BCN and DeMarco's are, without a doubt, my two favorites. And... Shoot, top three, um, probably um, Giacomo's. Ah, Giacomo's. Those would probably be my top three. That's awesome. Have you ever had Indian? I have. It. I like Indian. It doesn't like me too much. Understandable. Understandable. Well, if you do like Indian, I, my suggestion is always to go whenever they have the buffet so you can okay. try everything. It makes a lot more sense. But uh they do make it though not spicy. See, like back when I was growing up and we would go to the restaurant, I mean, the food was so spicy. It was mm -hmm. hard to eat. At least nowadays they've made it so that it's And I think I just don't know what to order. I do know that some, fried chicken is one of my favorite dishes. And some of my favorite fried chicken in the city comes from an Indian restaurant. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'm going to have to hit you up for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Johnny, listen, I really, really appreciate it. I know you raced all the way from downtown and from the courthouse to come here and do this and spend time with us. Um, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure.